You are listening to the Fly on the Wall podcast with Ambassador Delano Lewis. Conversations about business, politics, government, education, and so much more. Now, here is your host, Ambassador Delano Lewis. Welcome to Fly on the Wall podcast. I'm so excited today. I have a very, very good friend and colleague, a very capable and astute businesswoman that I've known for many, many years, uh, Marjorie Krauss, who's the founder and executive chairman of APCO. But uh, I'll let Marjorie talk about the beginnings of APCO and how we met. But I want to say it's exciting to have you on the podcast. Welcome, Marjorie. Thank you. And it's really exciting being with you too, Cal. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about APCO, A-P-C-O, for our listeners, and they may not understand what this is and how it started and so on. Give us a little background. Well, it started, at, you're calling it a really interesting time. We're just starting our 35th year, if you can believe that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we started with just me, and now we're in 32 markets across the world, and we have about 800 people. And basically, it's a consulting firm that helps um, its clients, who are probably 60% major corporations, and then governments and big uh, not-for-profits as they try to navigate this crazy world from an external relations perspective. So it's all their market entry, their positioning, their relationships with their different stakeholder groups, the media, government, um, financial markets, and we try to help them um, think about how uh, how they move forward. That's fantastic. It was founded in 1984, and APCO uh, stands for Arnold and Porter Law Firm, if I remember. Uh, You started as a division of a major law firm in D.C. Is that correct? Right. We we were an affiliate of uh, Arnold and and Porter, and uh, while it it didn't really uh, connect uh, letter for letter, the idea was to, um, to be leverage off the affiliation with Arnold and Porter. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were part of the law firm until 1991, but we kept the name and we've kept a lot of the friendships from that initial uh, affiliation. We, we subsequently have gone on and um, and uh, become one of the largest independent firms. And yes. the largest one that's majority women-owned. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I had read something that you were the one of the world's most... Uh, successful and powerful PR firms, uh, uh, you know, by PR media, which I think is just a, a tremendous accolade. And uh, you mentioned second largest independently owned, and it's a woman-owned company. So a lot to be proud of. Yeah, we we uh, are proud. And in this day and age, too, we feel very good about our, you know, our diversity and inclusion. Um, not because that's the buzzword these days, but that's kind of the way we were founded. And it was just, became part of our DNA and we're about half and half men and women and we're about five generations of uh, different age groups in the company and everybody brings their uh, special expertise to the party basically and um, we, it seems to be uh, a good formula for uh, for working and it makes uh, everyday fun. Give a, a lot of perspective. Excuse me, give my listeners a, uh, just a flavor of what uh, you do in terms of crisis management and consulting for companies. Give us an example of uh, some of the things that you do uh, as a business. Well, sometimes uh, 
sometimes we have companies that are exploring, um, like right now there's a lot of interest for people who have been operating in China where we've been for a long time about how they mitigate the risk of, um, of the growth of Asia, but um, the trade risks of um, being, you know, centered in one place. And so if you were going to choose a second place to work or to, um, to be uh, in, in a market there for production or for something else, what market would you pick and, and on what basis? And then who are the stakeholders you need to know? And how do you, how do you really get started? Now we don't do the hard number crunching and things like a, um, a McKinsey or somebody else would do, but we do it more from the EQ side, you know, um, which, you know, how, do, how do you establish the right relationships and have the right faith uh, in the market to, to do those things. And then, um, we also for, for companies, um, do a whole range of things. We're doing a lot of work right now for companies concerned about, uh, purpose and being purpose driven and how they talk about that. Um, we have a whole new effort coming out on agility and we just did a study of, uh, of fortune companies and four out of 10, the only four out of 10 CEOs think that they're kind of set for purpose right now and, <laughs> and agile enough to be in the market. And it's funny because I raised that when I was in Davos and to a panel of CEOs and they said, your research is wrong. Uh, it should be zero. <laughs> None of us are ready for what's out there, uh, which I thought was kind, of, was kind of interesting. And then we do a lot of work on crisis. We do litigation support uh, when a company gets sued or a product gets recalled or things of that sort. So it's really, um, you know, all the kind of externally facing things a company faces. We try to be their good partner. Um, to kind of see around the corner and to help them um, with some of the day-to-day things as well as, you know, thinking ahead about future proofing their company. I know you're all over the world. You're global. You have offices in D.C., Brussels, Hong Kong. Just just one more idea. I'd just like our listeners to hear if you could, if you, without violating confidences, uh, give us an issue of a of a company that was in crisis. Uh, maybe they called on you and maybe it was a little bit too late or it was too early, but you you stepped in and help them mitigate uh, something and resolve something from for them. Do you have any uh, any examples you might share with us? Yeah, the problem is, you know, we obviously, and for, for those kind of things, we're under lots of confidentiality right. agreements. But, um, you know, you might imagine that if a company, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, product liability suits uh, mm-hmm. that are going on with certain companies, and uh, whether they're medical devices or, um, you know, pharma or in some cases, um, you know, other, there's meat recalls or things like that. Um, you know, we kind of help them dissect the problem, take responsibility, figure out who speaks to the company. Um, and, and before any of that happens, we also try to help them look for vulnerabilities and take actions that avoid these crises uh, to begin with. Um, so, Good. you know, they, they, they span almost every industry, you know, if somebody hasn't had a crisis, it's, it's inevitable. There will be one, no matter how good the company is. No question. And, and so, you know, part of it is also building the reputational equity on the good side. So while you have time and you can make these relationships when you don't have to, mm-hmm. and you can demonstrate your commitment to society, then when these things happen, you really do have more equity in the bank to deal with and uh, more believability. 
and you help those companies really navigate the communications uh, of how to do this. Uh, following through, you definitely get down in the weeds and help them uh, fashion what makes sense in terms of communicating to their customers. You really get down giving them that kind of advice. Uh, we have, um, you know, uh, this isn't the only thing we do, but the people who work on crisis basically have a packed suitcase. <laughs> uh, because we all no, we also deal with train derailments and things like that. I mean, wow. you, you just never know where things are going to happen or when they're going to happen. And that's not, that's when people, you know, need fast action and they need to right away. And, um, you know, you have to, we, I always laugh. I, I always say that the people who are in a crisis practice are adrenaline junkies. Right. <laughs> uh, because you have to be. Right. And, you know, some of the rest of the business can be more planned. And, um, you know, it's, it's maybe um, a little more carefully uh, executed. Yes. And I, you know, I've been very proud of watching you and watching the company grow. And I just want our listeners to know uh, this is fly, fly on the Wall podcast. And I'm having a wonderful conversation with Marjorie Krauss, who's founder and executive chairman of APCO, a worldwide consulting firm and crisis management firm. But I want our listeners to know, uh, you know, you were doing things before you started this firm. And uh, and that's how we met. <laughs> that's right. I want to share that with our listeners and how we met. Well, I, I think, you know, I, it's, it's funny because I just wrote a book. It's not out yet, but, um, and this isn't publicizing the book. Um, but I started to think a lot about how, uh, how these things get intertwined in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I was a high school civics teacher uh, in my training, a political scientist. And uh, my first, um, my first maybe entrepreneurial effort was uh, to be one of the people who helped uh, the Close Up Foundation gets started, which has now brought, and you'll never believe this, Dell, but it's now going to be a million young people wow. to Washington to learn about government and politics. And your listeners should know that uh, when we first started this in 1972, that um, that Ambassador Lewis was one of the first speakers. He wasn't Ambassador Lewis then, uh, mm-hmm. but he was a staffer on Capitol Hill, and um, he helped these young people understand a little bit about how the legislative process works. And um, we, he was a pretty regular um, on the program inspiring these students who came from all over the country. And uh, close-up started with, you know, one small group and now brings about 20,000 students uh, in high school and junior high to Washington in a given year. Oh, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was working uh, for Senator Edward Brooke, uh, a senator from Massachusetts, and then went on to be chief of staff for Walter Fauntroy. And you would call me in and uh, to talk to the students about D.C. and home rule. And I've been talking and making speeches on on that ever since about D.C. being the last colony. And, not, and uh, if you don't have voting representation somewhere else, you don't have a vote in the Senate. And the non-voting delegate only can vote in committee. And it's still that way today. And I started doing that in, uh, in close up in the, in the early seventies. And it was a joy for me. And, uh, I was just also reflecting, uh, that I followed Hubert Humphrey on a number of occasions because you would have him as the Senator from Minnesota chatting with the kids about government and federal government. And somehow sometimes you know, it's really, it's really funny. He, <laughs> he was really dedicated to this. Yes. And I, um, the way that happened was, um, 
you know, I was young and didn't know better, but I certainly wasn't <laughs> going to take no for an answer. So I figured if I uh, invited him 13 times, he couldn't turn me down 13 times. I gave him <laughs> the 13 dates. And to my surprise, he accepted all of them. I know. So we became fast friends. <laughs> I know. And, that's and uh, Go ahead. Yeah, it was great. No, it was great. But somehow I followed him. The way you had the program organized on that particular day, either I would come after him to talk about D.C., but I got to know him and shake hands with him as the you know, very prominent senator from Minnesota and just a terrific speaker about, about federal politics. Well, I, I knew who could, uh, who could keep up the uh, momentum he created, that's why. <laughs> thank you, thank you. But anyway, I remember those days, and we kept in touch with each other over the years, and you would involve me with Close Up, and uh, I remember we took a trip to uh, to Kansas, my home state. And yes, your home state. I, I, uh, were you trying to raise money then, or awareness, or something? And I know we went to visit uh, Senator Nancy uh, Kassenbach. Uh, yeah, and, and and Bob Dole. That's right. Um, also was was very helpful. Um, no, but also you took me to um, to meet your your high school friends, which was quite memorable, given you know that. Uh, Topeka, Kansas featured so prominently in the whole civil rights movement. And that was a real thrill for me. I never forgot it. Oh, thank you very much. I went to high school in Kansas City, Kansas, but I went to law school uh, at Washburn in Topeka. And that's where the Brown v. Board of Education case, right. uh, 1954, desegregation of schools. And it's coming up on 65 years. Can you imagine? And No, uh, but <laughs> it, I always think about that trip because... So many people I met, um, you know, really saw that history firsthand. Well, thank you very much. I do remember it. And I want to get back and let our listeners know I'm talking to Marjorie Krause. Uh, she's the uh, founder and executive chairman of APCO, a crisis management and consulting firm. And Marjorie, you know, you have just built this company into a global powerhouse uh, and you're involved in so many other activities uh, uh, for, for women business owners and for uh, public relations and public affairs, not only in this country, but around the world. And I've just been following your, uh, your development and your accolade. And I just, just very excited about all the things that you're doing. Well, I've been very lucky because, um, you know, through hard work, I guess, and timing, but, um, just to have this opportunity, I'm first generation, uh, American and, um, you know, I pinch myself sometimes because <laughs> I think this is what this country is all about. And uh, to have the opportunity to start something from scratch. And now we're in, you know, 30 countries. And I just came back from the Middle East this morning, actually. Wow. Um, and we're, you know, we're doing some just fantastic things for people. Um, and in terms of the transformation that's going on around the world, not just for our companies, but the societies in which they have an impact. And it's, it's really, it's really an honor to do this business. Um, we also have, you know, the reason I've, I've been so involved in groups like WPO women presidents organization, it's like 2000 women business owners, uh, but there's a lot of peer mentoring. And I think when you do this yourself and there weren't many peers, you mm -hmm. learn so much and it's just, you have an obligation, you know, to, uh, give back or, you know, uh, play it forward or whatever they say, but, uh, we try to do that. Well, explain again, when you mentioned, uh, you did it in passing, uh, first generation American, explain the background there. 
Well, my parents uh, were born in Poland, mm-hmm. um, and they uh, left um, in in the twenties. So they they uh, although a lot of their family were Holocaust uh, victims, um, they got out, and my mother. They didn't know each other. It's a fluke. They were both from the same country mm-hmm. because my mother ended up, um, couldn't get into the United States because uh, of photos. And uh, she was raised in Cuba. Wow. And they they met uh, because my father's father, who was his, um, who came as a peddler, basically, uh, for baked goods, for bakery, um, ended up building the biggest bakery in our county. And um, they would go to Havana on vacation, my grandmother, my grandfather, and my grandma, my mother's parents were also bakers. So they were very intrigued by this little pastry shop and the old city and this beautiful woman who was in, this young woman who was in there. And they uh, encouraged her to come to the United States and said they had some sons and, you know, the rest is history, I guess. And the baker shop was where? Uh, the- so my, my father, uh, was in New Jersey and mm-hmm. Sussex County, a rural part of New Jersey. It was a mining town uh, when they started. And uh, Franklin's still there, although there's no more mining. And um, and then my my uh, grandparents weren't, my mother's family was in the old city in Havana. And did uh, was uh, did you grow up bilingual? Or was there Spanish in the in the house that you grew up? <laughs> my my Spanish is kitchen Spanish. You wouldn't <laughs> want to hear it <laughs> because I grew up helping in the kitchen with right. my grandmother and my aunt, and and they were very funny because whenever they spoke several languages, you know, having come from Europe, and uh, they were inevitably more comfortable in Spanish, so they would start in Spanish. But if they hit a word that didn't have a good equivalent, they would just switch languages. Wow. So, so I grew up with this. I I thought that was all one language until I got older. Right. But uh, that kitchen Spanish, I'm sure, has served you well. And uh, uh, being, oh, yeah. being exposed to other languages has put you in good stead with, with running a global company. Um, and and you, you're on several boards in, in, that involve women in business, uh, chair of the board of women's business uh, organization and uh, trustee of American University and advisory board to a number of uh, organizations. Uh, so you believe it's important to not only uh, give back to the community, but to share your experiences, uh, particularly with women uh, business people. I do. I, you know, I grew up at a time when there weren't a lot of mentors or people that, um, you know, that, that could care. And, and this, um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in kind of work-life integration. And I think a lot of, Women suffer um, from uh, family, you know, the pressures of family versus work. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough that I'm married 52 years and I have, you know, these three kids and nine grandchildren and still manage to uh, pull off building the business. And I think there are a lot of learnings from that that I think could help other women, especially knowing how many years I felt guilty um, (laughs) and how my kids. You know, watching them now um, with their own children and how they have to balance everything. Um, you know, I, I think you can be a lot more empathetic. And I understand that you have uh, some of your children working in the business as well, which uh, is part of the, uh, I think, an important piece of what you do. Yeah, it's, it was uh, interesting because I never, that was never planned and I never anticipated it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just uh, the way it happened. My son is, was the first to come, and he's now been there 20 years. 
and he was at Booz Allen as a consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, but he came when the internet started to become an important part of the work we do. And, uh, we did not have any digital natives and, you know, in our business at that time, uh, there weren't people with the technical skills to come in and write code and integrate it into services for clients and things like that. And he came in and built a global, um, technology practice, which became one of the leading practices in the industry. And, And it's very inventive and he's now um, built a whole global team and of really entrepreneurial people and he's gone on to be the chief operating officer of the company. And my daughter, um, when she was getting her MBA, she was in hospitality and a little bit bored and she, she, you know, they grew up with the company. I started when my son was in high school. So, you know, this is, they were always advisors, whether, right. whether I knew it or not, you know. They were always and so involved. so my daughter came in and, and built our marketing function. So I'm very lucky. She's been there about 15 years, maybe oh, that, more now. That's an incredible story of involving the family. And we've known each other all these years, and Gail and I uh, have been married 58 years, and I do know Steve, your, your spouse, and uh, right. we've been in touch for, for all these years, and you have nine grandchildren. We have 11 grandchildren. And there's a lot of similarities of, of our love and support for our children because they are who we are and they're involved in what we do. So that's a wonderful story. Well, it's, um, you know, it's, I, th- I think that I've gotten more out of this than even they have, even though I know they've grown a lot by the jobs they've had. Right. Uh, but, you know, I think, and you know this for yourself, that when they're your children, they have to work even that much harder. That's right. Because you not only expect more, but you want them, you don't want to put them in a a position where they won't succeed. They better be better than everybody else. That's exactly right. I have uh, written two books, as you know, uh, the first one, It All Begins With Self, and the second one, No Condition Is Permanent, that was co-written with Brian Lewis, uh, my third son. And then Jeff Lewis, uh, the second son, and I are doing some consulting work. And so I'm very much involved with the, uh, my children as well in the businesses that I'm doing. And then Brian is very active in this podcast. And we're talking to uh, Marjorie Krause of uh, of APCO, uh, and we're talking about family. Let's go back and talk a little bit more about you. Um, you got your degrees at American University, and you're still very much involved in American University? Yeah, I actually, yes, I um, I actually started at Galesburg, in uh, Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois. Oh. Uh, because I, I um, a little known secret is I, I can't say I never graduated high school, but I didn't graduate high school before I went to college. Right, right. So, um, you know, when Knox uh, had accepted me um, as a junior in high school, and um, and so, but then I had met Steve, my husband, mm-hmm. not then, but uh, in summer camp, and we, uh, he was in law school in Washington, and so I transferred my junior year and finished at America and got married. Uh, my senior year, and then I got my master's at AU, and um, and we've stayed in Washington, and so when I was approached to be on the AU board as a trustee, um, you know, I was excited to do that because I was a repeat offender and uh, <laughs> knew quite a lot about the school, and, and also, I think, you know, had a lot of, um, maybe, hopefully, had something to offer. Well, you certainly have, and you have a lot to offer. And again, we stayed close together, and I was invited uh, by uh, APCO and, and Marjorie just a few years ago to join and, 
International Advisory Committee. And I found it to be extremely, extremely valuable for me. And hopefully I've contributed. We have monthly calls and I can't believe people from all over the world get on this call for an hour and you know, we discuss uh, what's going on around the world, what's going on uh, around in various conferences, what are the issues of the day in the U.S., what are the issues today in Asia and Russia, uh, China, et cetera. Uh, so I, I'm getting a lot more out of it, I'm sure, than I'm contributing. But thanks to you, Marjorie, I'm, I'm still well, connected. I know. I think, yeah, I think the uh, advisory council has just been a wonderful thing. We have, there's actually 100 people um, in it, but we have a lot of subgroups. Mm-hmm. But the monthly call is, is an effort to get people really connected. And we try to do timely, uh, you know, as you said, timely conversations. Uh, but we also use these advisors for our clients. And, and, and if you think about the staff, if you can walk down the hall um, and talk to somebody who lives the history, um, it's not just going and doing some research. It's really being able to be interactive with people who um, can give you texture that you could just never get by doing desk research. There's no question. And they pass that on to the clients. Yes, and you have on this committee, and I'm sure you have it uh, throughout APCO, you've got uh, former senators, former representatives, you've got governors, uh, you've got former ambassadors, you've got people that have been involved in the White House uh, on various administrations, uh, all coming together to give you advice uh, um, and consulting advice uh, across the board. I've, I found it extraordinary the pieces you've put together and the people that you've brought well, together. We actually have a couple presidents. Um, and, um, and we have people now that are applying and we have a waiting list. Mm -hmm. So it's been, uh, it's been really great. And some of these people have become, you know, lifelong friends. And as you know, that's for sure. it's a mutually beneficial thing. Well, thank you. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about uh, the politics of today because I know you keep up. Uh, I see you were at Davos at 2019. Uh, you're doing special. I was checking on you, lots of videos about your various uh, speeches that you've given over the years and most recently. Uh, you keep up because to run such a global enterprise, you've got to have a sense of the politics, not only of the U.S., but the politics of, uh, of the world. And um, just give us some thought about, give our listeners some of your thoughts about the politics of today, uh, either domestically and and internationally, and how it's impacting you and the business. Well, um, I think that it's it's complicated. It's probably the <laughs> simplest way to say this. But, you know, I think because I spend so much time in these other countries, you really do get a deeper perspective than you would just even if you followed the news and the research here, because we, I don't, I don't think if you live in the U S alone, um, get any other news sources that you understand how much this world is changing. And I'd say there were a few, a few themes that go through that. I think one is that definitely the influence has moved from G seven to G 20 and the world is moving east. And I think that, um, companies and, you know, if you just look at population shifts mm-hmm. of where consumers are going to be in the next, um, you know, 20 years, um, there's a whole lot of opportunity in a different part of the world. And there's a lot of spending going on uh, to build infrastructure. And when you get back to the U.S., it really does look old. Mm-hmm. And if we're, if we're, if we need to, we need to really 
do some things to keep up. And and we have this kind of, I think, self-inflicted um, a little bit of arrogance because we've always been number one and we don't think that will change. And I hope, you know, it doesn't, but um, we have to keep working at it and we can't just assume the world stays the same and we, it won't. Right. Um, the other thing that we're finding is that um, companies are a lot more, um, can, uh, the CEOs, them, they have everything coming at them from every different way, from um, trying to balance short-term um, earnings uh, needs with long-term investment for purpose and other things as they try to navigate um, that they have to think about the social risk of taking action or not taking action as they engage with society. They have to think about cyber uh, and all the other uh, potential um, weaknesses or uh, points of vulnerability they have. And as they were talking about this, um, I heard uh, some uh, one uh, CEO throw up his hands and say, I, I finally figured out what CEO stands for, Chief Everything Officer. Right, great. <laughs> That makes a whole lot. That makes a whole lot of sense. And while you're talking about that, and I don't want to, um, you've been very generous with your time. But I, I about technology, and the, and you mentioned your son who's involved in technology in the company. But you really got to see the impacts of technology around the world. Uh, the CEOs are just facing this massive uh, changes that are going on, particularly in, in technology, and how that uh, has got to be impacting them every day in their businesses. Well, I think that, um, I, I think every CEO would say um, right now that uh, the forces of disruption mm-hmm. um, are there and they can't be ignored. And that's where this agility uh, offer that we have comes in. Um, because you, you just, you can't ignore the fact that AI or machine learning is going to be, um, have as much of an impact on business or more than the internet did. And so we're just beginning with the front end of that. And it's not all good or all bad. I mean, people are, you know, worried about job displacements, and I think we should be, not to some degree, but and so retraining is important. But also, it should allow people to do more meaningful tasks and take out some of the more tedious tasks because machines can do that faster and better. But machines don't have judgment. Um Maybe someday they will, but right now they, you know, people are needed to be, be intervening that process. But yeah, it's just, um, it's really, I mean, it's very exciting, but it's also very scary. And I think when you when you're on that edge between scary and exciting, I mean, that's why people need help. I mean, that's really our business is helping people navigate that ledge that they and that's the name of your business is helping people. Uh, my last question, uh, we're talking to Marjorie Krauss, the founder and chairman of APCO, uh, a, a consulting firm and crisis management firm. Uh, Marjorie, tell me a little bit about what kind of legacy you think you'd like to leave. Um, I know you won't give up because you're still working hard every day, so I'm not talking yeah. about you're retiring. Yeah. I, I, know not gonna, right. I know that's not going to happen. But just, uh, I know there's International Women's Month coming up, and you are a business, a woman business owner and involved internationally and domestically. What would you say to our listeners, particularly the young people, maybe young women who are listening, about uh, what they might consider uh, in today's world and tomorrow? Well, I think 
Yeah, for me, um, you, know, you kind of think about those couple words that you hope will be on your tombstone. I don't, I don't always sit around and have morbid thoughts about that. Actually, you know, part of life. Um, but you know, I hope that um, it's it's me. It's about relevance. It's not about that's why my name isn't on the door. It's about the company having relevance. It's about you know being relevant to my family and in terms of. Um, you know, this, I told you that I just wrote this book and it got me thinking about all this, but in the book, the title is about roots and wings, because I believe that in your family life, there are only two lasting things of value you give your kids. Mm-hmm. One is roots, values, and the other is wings to fly. And I've tried to run my business that way. So I hope that it's the relevance, it's the, um, that I stood for something and that that is the legacy that kind of folks on. And what's the name of the book, Marjorie? You don't. I, I'd love to hear the title, and I like it's to get a, a copy. It's a working. It's a it's a working title. Okay. It'll be out in October, mm-hmm. but it's roots and wings. It's ten things I learned from motherhood that I applied to business. It's roots a very and wings. Different take. Yeah, it's a very different take on a business book <laughs> because it's about mother. It's about mothering, and so for the young people out there, it's it's about work life integration. Oh, it's that really about how you how you balance things. That sounds fantastic. And you said it's a work in progress, so you're... you're, you're no, it's finished. It's finished. just that it will be out in October, and I don't know, uh, you know, I assume, I don't know how many changes happen in the publishing process, because you have a better idea about that than I do. Yes. I, I never did this before. Right. Well, I'm sure that uh, it'll be exciting. I'll be looking for it, and uh, I'm just so very proud of all the things you've done. Um, thank you for joining the Fly on the Wall podcast, Marjorie. This has been exciting for me. We've been friends for a long time. I'm proud of all the things that you've done in building a global organization called APCO. So any last thoughts you want to leave the, leave the listeners? Well, I think, you know, I think that life is about um, kind of mutual friendships, Del, and I certainly feel the same way about you. I mean, I, I think you're an lucky. I feel very lucky to count you as a friend and to know you and um, really appreciate having this conversation. Well, thank you. It's it's certainly mutual. We've been talking to Marjorie Krauss, Fly on the Wall podcast. She's the founder and executive chairman of APCO. Marjorie, thanks so much. And maybe we, and I certainly would like to do this again. Me too. Okay. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Take care. You've, been, you've been listening to Fly on the Wall podcast, conversations with Ambassador Delano Lewis. And our guest was Marjorie Krauss, founder and executive chairman of APCO, a crisis management and consulting firm. It's been great, uh, wonderful, informative information. Uh, Next time, we'll look forward to having you on Fly on the Wall podcast. Godspeed. Thank you. You have been listening to the Fly on the Wall podcast. For more information about this episode and previous episodes, plus great merchandise and more. Please visit our website at flyonthewallpodcast.com today.